You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show, breaking you down the massive game of the week, maybe the game of the year. Uh, Oregon at Ohio State. The Ducks come in ranked 12th in the country in the AP poll, 1-0. The Buckeyes are number three in the country in the AP poll. They are also 1-0. This is Ohio State's home opener, so this game is going to be probably a little bit more jacked up from an environmental standpoint because it's the first time fans have been inside uh, their stadium in, in over a year. And so that's going to be something to monitor. Um, it's not a sellout as, as of yet. 110,000 people feet fit into that stadium. And it sounds like they've got about 10,000 tickets uh, still left available. And um, their AD has come out and said that they kind of expect those tickets to get gobbled up by the time kickoff arrives Saturday afternoon, local time. Let's start there, guys. Like, is there any concern about a West Coast team traveling towards the East Coast playing a 9 a.m. their time kickoff? Is that a thing? Is that an issue uh, for you guys? I, it's definitely not not a thing. I mean, I don't ultimately know if it really decides the game, but I do think you see this in professional sports all the time, especially football. Um where a team flies one way or the other across the country and has a little harder time. You know, you, you hear about all the time in the NFL teams from the West coast flying to like Florida, you know, like a, for those kind of crossover games and how those typically don't go the way of the team traveling. And I think you even saw a little bit of that. I think UCLA was the better team, but we talked about in the prediction pod last week um, about UCLA and LSU's matchup. And that was one of the reasons that Jared and I kind of pushed and maybe coerced Matt into, into going with, UCLA was because of that travel and, and there was other factors there because of Hurricane Ida too but like I do think it matters and I do think it's in, like at least notable um do I think it's the determining factor in the game absolutely not um I think if this is a neutral site game I'd probably pick it pretty close but um it definitely isn't in Oregon's favor to have to get on a flight and fly over play a game that's way earlier than they normally play I mean Oregon's week is already a little mixed up there this is Thursday morning we're recording this they're flying on Thursday over to the game. Typically, that's not what they do uh, in the lead-up. So um, a little bit of a different, I guess, setup this week. I, I think you certainly have to at least acknowledge, yeah, this is not exactly the, the normal lead-up to a game for, for Oregon. Yeah, I agree. I think baseball and football are two of the most superstitious sports. And I think football, you are, especially during the season, you get into such a habitual pattern of when you start, how you finish, all of that above. And to go across the country with the three-hour time zone and to start a game not only at noon there, but it feels like 9 a.m. on the West Coast, I think it's definitely something. I don't know if it's going to be a dramatic impact, but I do think it's going to it's gonna fix around and it's going to make people feel a little uncomfortable. Uh, I know they start practices in the morning all the time, but this is just a different experience, especially with Matt, as you said, like 100,000 people raining down on you it's just gonna be wait for it a rude wake-up call <laughs> one thing that kind of dawned on me after we spoke with crystal ball and i wish i had thought of it earlier to ask him his thoughts is typically we always wonder okay how are freshmen how are young guys that maybe don't play a ton until this first opportunity of playing in front of a big crowd on the road how are they going to handle it but i think that kind of can, you know, can count towards everybody on this team because they went an entire season without playing in front of fans. And now their first opportunity truly in front of a fan base is going to be Ohio state where the stadium is, is going to have over a hundred thousand people there. I mean, that's a pretty big shock to the system, no matter how experienced you are. I, I think that could, mm, excuse me, factor into play here, uh, just about suffocated on my own breath. Um, (laughs) uh, I I, I think we could see, I mean, I don't expect it, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see early on some false starts or some pre-snap penalties by Oregon. 
Well, I mean, just to build off that slightly, Matt, and then we can move move on because I think there's a lot more to talk about than just the environment. But like, sure. I think about how many of these guys that are starting on offense, which is where the issues are going to happen, played in 2019 in the Rose Bowl or, I don't know, some of those big non-conference, I mean, the big conference games, I should say, even at Jerry's World against Auburn. I mean, how many of those guys actually played? I mean, I the Four two five. Re- Two receivers and C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye, the guys who play a lot. Spencer Webb had the big touchdown there, but that was his first moment there. I mean, the offensive line and the quarterback, which are the players that get the, the play started and that this really could impact, none of them played in that game really at all. Um, I mean, some of them weren't even on the team at that point. So, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think it's it's certainly notable. And then I also just think you have to note, mention, like, think about what happened in 2018 after Oregon comes off those two big wins or or just one big win in specifics over Washington at home. They go on the road shortly after that and they play three road games at Washington state, Utah um, and at Arizona and get bludgeoned pretty bad in all of those. And I think crowd noise played a factor in all those games. Um, And this, uh, this environment's going to be a lot more, I think intense and significant than any of those environments. So it's definitely not, not a thing. Again, I will say that I don't think this is a, the, you know, the, defining factor, but it's not, not something that'll play a factor. Kickoff. So, Go ahead. Uh, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, I asked a couple kids or players, excuse me, about that situation where, you know, I would say 30 or 40% of the team, you know, hasn't really played in front of a big crowd. Yeah. And a lot of them just pointed to the fact that they're playing with noise at practice and they all know that it's not as, as loud or similar as it is in the stadium. But they all pointed to just basically having enough confidence in the team and who you're surrounded by to make the proper communication and adjustment based off the noise volume of the stadium. Um, kickoff is set for uh, the exact time is 9.05. Game is on Fox. Just Gus Johnson, Joe Klatt, Jenny Taft on the call. Um, this is truly like – this is Fox's number one game. This is Fox's number one TV crew. Um, I, I think game day would, would have been here if ESPN had the broadcast rights to it and said they're at Iowa, Iowa State, which they have the broadcast rights for. Um, the, I was asked this question when I was doing an um, a Ohio State hit earlier this week. Some Ohio State fans have found their way into my mentions uh, based off my response. So I want to hear what you guys feel on this. If Oregon wins this game, this isn't a program defining win. It, it, that's what I, I said. Uh, it, it does, though, open up the door for the playoff to officially be a legit possibility and probably a likely possibility for Oregon. But I don't think a win at Ohio State magically changes the perception of this Oregon football team because they've already won – big road games. They've already won uh, games against blue blood programs. They've won big bowl games. They've made the college football playoff. They've won the league title multiple times. They're two time league champs right now. They've finished in the top five. The only thing that this program hasn't done yet is win the national title. And so I don't think this win from like a big picture perception standpoint changes the view of Oregon, but it certainly makes the playoff a real possibility, which could get you to that final accomplishment you need, and that's winning it all. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I look at it and think, I don't, why, why is one game going to define a program? I think that's just a stretch in general as a concept. Um, for Oregon, if, this was, if those who are saying this is program defining, I would say don't have a very high opinion of Oregon to begin with probably, and I would say that's probably biased based upon – what games they're watching and what they're actually paying attention to. Um, we do this. This is what happens when you cover or follow another program. The other team, you always diminish them a little bit, unless it's like Alabama, right. um, because you don't pay attention as much to that program. And you, what you do pay attention to is oftentimes through the lens of being a fan and what you see and, and how it impacts the school that you're around. So it makes sense that maybe Ohio State fans or Ohio State media thinks this name means more to Oregon than maybe it does. Um, but I think that's because they probably think Oregon has a lot to prove. And I think on the big stage nationally to some of these programs, they do have that. So, I mean, there's that factor. Maybe it'll may have an impact with Ohio state people and people that are watching it. Um, I don't think Oregon has to have, I don't think that there's anything this program has to prove. I don't think this program's 
perception changes based upon the outcome of this game. Um, and I think for those that point to that, I think Mario Cristobal made this point. Someone asked something about this, um, that, you know, the people, the perception shouldn't be impacted based on one game. I mean, maybe it will, but I think that probably says more about the people who say this game defines the program than it does about the program itself. Yeah. I don't think it's going to change the perception of Oregon as a football program. I do think it, I do think a win would actually help them a lot. And mostly just because it's like an, it's an East Coast game. Like you're playing at noon Eastern against Ohio State. You're going to have more people watching this than if it were, you know, number eight Oregon versus number 12 Washington, you know, on a seven, you know, seven, seven coast West Coast game. I, I think it'll help a lot in terms of a national perspective. It won't change the program if they win or lose. But I think, Matt, you're right too, where this if a win gives you the opportunity to get a program changing win in the college football playoffs, because truly at this point, that's all that matters. Yeah. Like we've had plenty of SEC teams, highly ranked beat up in each other during the regular season. And that's all fine, but nobody looks at any of those as a program changing or momentum gaining win, unless you're beating Alabama. And, but we've seen, you know, Alabama, we just saw Georgia destroy Clemson like last week, but that wasn't a program changing moment for them. It's just a, a good win and a neutral, neutral site. So I do think it's important that Oregon um, gives it their, that they look at their best effort during the game against Ohio State. But I don't necessarily think that a win or a loss changes the narrative, changes the program's perspective across the country. Oregon hits the road for the first time this season. And um, I, I think a lot of eyes probably from the Oregon fan base, from the Oregon media, um, everybody that has watched Oregon football and that will be looking at this from an Oregon perspective. It's probably going to be their first like question is probably going to be what does Anthony Brown, what does the Oregon offense look like week two after a suboptimal performance week one against Fresno state. Um, are you guys, I mean, Micah Pittman, Eric, you, you wrote a story on, on DuckTerritory.com about this. Um, Pittman gave just very, very strong endorsements to Pittman. What did he say? And then I guess the second question to you would then be, um, has Fresno state and that performance maybe cast any doubt that Oregon has the offense to win this game? Yeah, um, Pittman gave a really strong endorsement to Anthony Brown as the starting quarterback, um, and I think that's notable. This was not Anthony Brown's best game. I don't think he was awful, we've established, but the fan base, and this was this was all a response to what Michael Pittman had seen on Twitter, um, and I'm sure that I didn't see, obviously, everything Micah saw, but from I can kind of relate to seeing some of the similar stuff, whether it be on DuckTerritor.com on the message board or on Twitter, um, and he just felt like he needed to respond to it. It was completely, I mean, it was, no one asked him, hey, what did you think of Anthony Brown's perspective? Because people on Twitter thought he sucked. That was not the question. He was asked about his relationship with Anthony Brown, and that spurred on kind of what followed. Here's what he said. He says, I go on Twitter to handle what I have to handle about my NIL stuff. Then I see some slander on AB's name. It's kind of crazy to me because he's super talented. Even if you don't think he had the best game, I'm telling you there's so much potential to be for him to be one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. And he later said it was laughable said um, not everyone's at practice. Not everyone's seeing what AB is doing or what I'm doing. Not everyone's seeing what the coaches are doing. It's a whole process. And it's funny because that's only what they see on game day. It's just talk. It is what it is. So, um, I mean, I was impressed by Pittman for, I think, stepping in up and, and kind of defending his quarterback. I will say, um, at the same time, like this is sort of the world we live in. And I don't know if it was necessary to jump in and, and kind of attack the fan base a little bit and maybe attacks the wrong word, but I mean, he certainly created some sides there a little bit of like, Hey, yeah, they're, they're against us a little bit and, and here's why they shouldn't be. And I thought maybe that was kind of unnecessary, but I will, I will say like, I think just the point remains like good on Micah for defending his quarterback, regardless of the reason behind it. And, I think this will play very well in the locker room. And, and again, I think the fan base hopefully sees this and goes like, yeah, maybe, maybe we need to be a little bit more uh, patient with what's going on at quarterback. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was really interesting to read those comments and just how, you know, backed up Micah Pittman was towards Anthony Brown. Not that I expected anything else, but 
to to go out and, and talk about it and say it and bring it up on his own really um that was that was good to hear i think we've been hearing that a lot from players and wide receivers in the offensive line about anthony brown all off season and then most of fall camp um but again yeah eric like when when we rewatched it wasn't the instant reaction was to blame brown for any of the offensive struggles but on the rewatch it's like okay well sure he had a struggle a couple times but that's nothing nothing out of the ordinary but there were clearly it was more than just him that was the issue on last saturday um and Matt, to answer like your original question of like what does he need to do to to get to keep Oregon in the game, I think Anthony Brown just needs to he needs to play almost out of his mind. He just needs to have a a, a great performance, and he just has career to day. own uh, probably a career day. Yeah, he needs to own the moment. He needs to be able to showcase that he has an arm, beat the beat over the defense, showcase his legs as well, make proper decisions, just own the moment, have his Oregon moment, kind of similar like if, if Vernon Adams never got hurt against Michigan State, a game like that where he he takes it into his own hands. I look at Anthony Brown and, and think we're going to get a better performance than what we saw against Fresno State. Um, I expect a better performance than what we saw against Fresno State. To, to my question, my question though is is how much better will will it get for Oregon on the offensive side of the football? And and call me crazy here, but I'm starting to buy into this defense. Like watching Fresno State, watching them fly around when they were at full strength, and we realized that there is a possibility that this team might not be at full strength for Ohio State, which is unfortunate. But that is football. Um, <clears throat> But when they fly around and they're at full strength and they have all their available starters on the football field, I really think this team could it could really be special defensively. And it's kind of funny how Oregon is associated as like an offensive firepower on, you know, for the last 20 years in college football. Like they're always viewed as they have one of the best offenses best flashy, you know, skill guys, speed demons, what have you. And under crystal ball, it truly feels like every year the defense has been better than the offense and that, you know, the offense only has to be able, you know, only only needs to score like 24 points to have a chance to win. Now, I don't think that's going to be enough against Ohio State, but maybe I'm crazy and buying a little bit too much of the, of the Kool-Aid here uh, on the defense, but I, I think this defense might rise up here and, sh- and surprise some people against Ohio State. And this is kind of the way the team's. You're right. This is. This is. I'm not. We're not surprised by any of this. I'm not surprised by any of this. If you if you are, you're probably not following this program very closely recently. Like if, maybe some of those on the national level are like, "Wow, Oregon's defense is better than its offense." Wow, that's a surprise. It's kind of been that way for three years. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, this is. I think the thing is, is like if it. Where it's kind of it's kind of playing out the way we thought it would a little bit. Uh, we had concerns at quarterback. That was the I mean going into the whole season. How many times did we talk about that in the offseason? Like yeah. this team's talented. If the quarterback plays good, they'll be fine. We thought they had great skill guys. We thought the defense was going to be awesome. It, the skill guys we haven't really seen pop out yet, but it kind of is what we thought it was going to be. And there seems to be a lot of people that are surprised that the concerns of the team are the concerns that they are because this is which I think is weird because this is what we've been saying all along. It's like if they can get enough quarterback play from Brown and if the, the offensive line can take a step, like they can be really, really good because the receivers are awesome. They've got running backs. And we think the defense, like Matt was saying, I agree. I mean, I think, I think the defense is probably a little bit ahead of where they thought they'd be to some degree and probably a little behind in other areas. Um, like I didn't think the pass defense was, was great by certain players, but like, no, I, this is kind of where we thought they'd be. And for Oregon to be Ohio state, the defense has to play at its best or pretty close and you need mm-hmm. close to the best from Anthony Brown. And that's the winning formula against elite programs right now with the way this team is constructed. I do think we can expect to see a change at some point um, once you get into the Ty Thompsons and Troy Franklins and those guys are two to three years into this. And I say Thompson, it could be another one of the freshman quarterbacks who ends up winning that job. But like ultimately, I think the offense is going to catch up and be better. I just don't think it's right now or as good, I should say. I'm not sure it's ever going to be better than the defense. I think this is a program, though, that going forward will be defined by its defense more than its offense. Oregon fans probably that makes you uncomfortable, but I don't know if that should be the case. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I'm I'm a big uh, 
big defensive proponent here. I love a good defense. Um, and, you know, this, this team uh, last year really struggled on defense, which was, I think, a huge surprise to a lot of, a lot of people, especially their rush defense. They struggled. But, yeah, against Fresno State, it was – I was following the first scrimmage that we were to watch, the uh, week one fall scrimmage. I was really excited to see the defense at its full potential in uniform with everybody on the same side of the field. And against Fresno State, you saw like the first couple of drives, especially when Thibodeau was in the game, just night and day difference. The yeah. speed, the speed rush that KT has paired with the power rush on the inside, the interior D line is is a nightmare for a lot of quarterbacks. And unless you're someone like Iowa or Alabama, where your offensive line is just absolutely stout, it's going to be a struggle. They're going to get to the quarterback at one point. And with with their linebacking core and the speed there. Uh, the return of Jamal Hill and DJ James on in the secondary to provide some depth. Uh, I do think Oregon has the, I think they have the horses to compete with uh, Ohio State's uh, talented wide receiver core. Um, I think it's going to depend on what their pass rush is and their rush defense because of uh, Ohio State's three-headed monster at, at running back. But if they can control the run to a point, similar to that of Fresno State's. Uh, I think they have the guys to match up with an either man or zone coverage in the back end and make this a difficult day across the board. Yeah, agree. Let's dive into some keys to the game here. Um, I, I think I'll start first offensively. For me, one key to this game, that if Oregon's going to win, and if, if, if they're going to have an opportunity to walk off this field with a victory, not only does Anthony Brown need to be able to, to throw the football well and, you know, complete some downfield passes, but I, I, they need to have the dual threat. Anthony Brown needs mm-hmm. to be able to complete deep passes, but then he also needs to be a threat in the run game. He needs to rip off some kind of good run. It doesn't need to be a touchdown, but like a 28, 25, a 30, 35 yard run where you know, it's a zone read and everyone's expecting CJ Verdell to get the carry and Anthony Brown rips it out of the stomach and goes upfield untouched for 31 yards. And that all of a sudden goes, Whoa, now we have to worry about this too. You add another dimension to this offense, another area of an attack and that could open up the running lanes for the running backs and it could open up the passing lanes for the receivers to have big plays. So I think Anthony Brown needs to be effective, not only through the air, but also on the ground. Yeah, Oregon needs to be offensively as a whole, and Brown obviously is a huge part, but they need to be able to do both effectively to have a shot in this one. Um, think about what Minnesota did in that first game. I've watched it a couple times. They established an, inc- an incredible interior run game, and they have an awesome running back. Um, fortunately, he was hurt in that game. And honestly, if he's not, that might have been even closer than the final score. I don't think right. that Minnesota wins are because of it. But Muhammad Ibrahim was amazing in that game. He had like 160 yards in the third quarter, and then he blew out his Achilles. And that was kind of a factor. But like CJ Verdell needs to have maybe not that same production. And maybe it's CJ Verdell plus Travis Dye because they use them both interchangeably. But they need to have production from those guys that's it's equivalent to that. And that means the offensive line has to take a massive step. Right. Because Ohio State's strength defensively is its defensive line. Its linebackers mm-hmm. are all brand new. Its secondary is going through some injury stuff. We don't have clarity on a couple of guys if they're playing or not. Um, somehow Ryan Day is even more tight-lipped than Mario Cristobal as well. They don't even release a depth chart. Did you know that? Yeah. No, I definitely yeah. knew that. Yeah, no, I, we talked about that earlier in the week. Yeah, it's bizarre. I was trying I was trying to figure out going through some of the stuff of, like, who's where on the depth chart, and I couldn't find it. So that was interesting. But, yeah, no, I – I, I just think it's imperative that you, you know, establish a running game. And I think you got to win some battles there. But the other thing is, is that Ohio State's probably most susceptible to being beaten through the air. So you need to see every position group clicking on all cylinders. You need to see the receivers finding open space and catching passes when they're called upon. You need to see the running back. And then I think especially the offensive line winning battles early on and downs to, to create some success. Or you can't win this game being one-dimensional. Um, because frankly, I don't think they're good enough in either area to beat a team like Ohio State relying on one area. Like if you just say, oh, okay, it's going to come down to Anthony Brown throwing the ball 35, 45 times, it's probably not going to be a winning combination. And if you say it's going to be 40, you know, 40 to 45 run plays from Verdell and Die, 
probably not winning either unless you just get ahead so much that that's your your mindset the whole game. So I think it has to be balanced. I think that's key all season, but especially in a game like this where, again, Oregon's not good enough in either area to just dominate Ohio State. Like I think Ohio State, in theory, could be good enough just passing the ball to keep themselves in the game. Think about what mm-hmm. Jake Hainer did for Fresno State. I don't think Oregon has that same luxury with its offense right now. No, absolutely not. It, Oregon needs easy yards. So they need to they need to attack at the line of scrimmage, I think. So obviously that means establishing a run game, something where you can get Verdell can give you four to six yards as carry would be ideal. But I think they need to be a little more creative and start uh, running screens, things like that, just to get easy, open yards, to get the defense moving from side to side, trying to stay away, honestly, from that defensive front. Because if Oregon's offensive line looks as they did last week against Fresno State, Having Anthony Brown take five to seven steps back in the pocket is going to be a nightmare. And they're going to be right on top of him. And he's going to have to use his legs, which thankfully for Oregon, Anthony Brown last week showed he's capable of escaping some of those situations, hitting an 11-yard run on a third and seven, extending a drive. But if they can get you know bubble screens or things like that to, to Jalen Red or Pittman or Chris Hudson out in the wings, uh, it's going to make their life a little easier and Ohio state has a lot of talent in their secondary, but they're really young. And I think that could be something they could exploit. And if you continue to show that you're willing to move on the boundaries, then that opens up the middle of the field. Then you have Anthony Brown take a shot. So I think it's, it's all about mixing and matching for Oregon. If they're one dimensional, like they have been in some bigger games where they're just running Verdell or die almost every other play, it's not going to work. They just need some offensive creativity and they need to you know, take the top off the playbook and let it run and see how it goes. Because if there's any time to experiment and try to do something crazy to win a game, it's this Saturday. Defensively, keys to this football game, I, I think we've t- discussed at length um, the receiver, cornerback, defensive back matchups and um, on our podcast yesterday on Thursday with Patrick Murphy, I think Eric brought up a really good point of the defensive line. And if Oregon can generate some kind of pass rush that gets into CJ Stroud's head, it doesn't really matter how good of a receiver core Ohio State has if Stroud doesn't have time to throw the football. So I, I think Oregon's probably their best counter to – the, the threat of a passing attack that Ohio State has, which is the best in the country uh, from a receiver standpoint, is just don't don't give them time to throw. And if that's a lot easier said than done, yeah. but if you if Kayvon Thibodeau and and we'll talk about him here in a second, and if Mace Funa and Adrian Jackson and Braden Swinson, if these guys can come off the edge and get to the quarterback and force C.J. Stroud to throw the ball sooner than he would like, that makes the defensive backs jobs a heck of a lot easier, and it's a lot easier to cover those elite NFL receivers. So for me, Oregon's defensive line, their pass rush, has got to have one of their better games of the season this year. Um, They've got to be on point, and if they are, things get real interesting. Yeah, a lot of what Ohio State likes to do is play action. Those are long developing plays. Uh, gives a little bit more time for the defensive front to get in his face and make things difficult. Um, clearly, winning those battles play a huge role. I mean, we talked about this, Jared, on our podcast. You wrote about it at length. There's two or three Oregon pass plays against Fresno State where if there's no pressure, he probably completes it for a touchdown. I know, I mean, Micah Pittman, Anthony Brown, and Mario Cristobal have all said the that throw that post route out of the end zone where there was internal pressure and he had to kind of step up and throw it maybe a second or two early. If that ball is mm-hmm. thrown with no pressure, that's a touchdown probably. And it's like an 80 yard score. And we have a little bit of a different outlook on this, but it wasn't. And I think the same thing applies for CJ Stroud and Ohio state. Um, if they can sit back there and especially when it is a slower developing route combination, and maybe it is with some sort of misdirection or play action that slows kind of the flow of the play down a little bit. And obviously it's intentional, slow it down. If Oregon can get to Stroud and make it difficult, that's huge. And I think the, the, then the counter to that, I would also say, is Stroud's pretty good with his legs. Yeah. And if the other, the next step of that is 
And we saw this once with Jake Kaner, where they forced, I think Noah Sewell got internal pressure. I think Braden Swinson's got in there too, and he had to roll out. And that was when he threw it 30 yards downfield to, I think, Cropper for the, the long pass play, um, the longest of the day. Um, if, they can, if they can make it so that Stroud gets out of the pocket, but then corral him and bring him down and, stop, and take away the running lanes and the throwing lanes afterwards, I think that's big too, because Stroud, unlike Kaner, I think can really move around a little bit. And even if Oregon does get some of this pressure, it's now making sure that that next step is either he tucks it and tries to run or you bring him down and not allow him to kind of fling it downfield. Because if you give those Ohio State receivers enough time to find open space, they will, even though I think Oregon's secondary is pretty darn good. Yeah, no, uh, I, I'm with you on everything right there. Um, specifically on the defensive front, I think the edge rushers can get theirs. I'm not too worried about their ability to get to Stroud. Uh, I, I think the interior presence of the defensive line needs to be uh, just amazing in order to get Stroud to run into the arms of Thibodeau or, or Mace Funa on the edges when he's trying to scramble. So they need Dorless to have another good game. And then like one of the trio of Christian Williams, Keon Warehudson, Jason Jones, like one of those guys needs to step up and consistently provide uh, internal pressure on that defensive front. And in the back end, uh, the safeties just need to hold in long enough because Stroud will uh, or is capable of extending a play. But if the safeties can hold on to Olave or Wilson, not physically hold on, but if they can, you know, continue to cover them, even though Stroud is trying to like continue a play, then it's going to make his life even harder. Because Eric, like you said, if you give them enough time, they're going to find the open field. All right, let's discuss the elephant in the room. Can't believe we haven't talked about it this late into the show. KT um, and his status for applying on Saturday. Crystal Ball has been very tight-lipped, and I think um, as the week has gone on, maybe it's just me not reading the room correctly here, but it feels like the delivery of what he says about KT, the information that he reveals about KT has kind of dwindled as the week has gone on, as it's gotten closer to football. And I think he's playing into the uncertainty a little bit here. Um, I mean, we tried to, we tried to see if some of the guys would, would come up the steps after Wednesday's practice to see who was available and for practice. And we were quickly shoot away. Hey, can't stand here. Can't watch who's coming up the, the practice field. Um, granted, that's not the only exit from the practice field. Uh, does he play, though, and what kind of impact does he have? I think he plays. Um, I think he's going to be limited, though, in his full capability. I think he will play, but like I said, it, it's not going to be a full KT like we saw first quarter against Fresno State. Yeah, we kind of have to read between the tea leaves. Predictable here. I know after Monday's podcast, we said um, Mario would get it to us, get some information to us. Turned out what he got to us was the same information <laughs> Monday, um, which is not all that surprising. Kind of was, I think that was our prediction. Was we kind of think this will end up being a game time decision? I think they'll probably have a much better idea. The problem, they put it this way, they'll know by the time they fly out. I think what the odds are of him playing. They've probably already flown out by the time you're listening to this, and maybe some information will have broke by then, but. Thibodeau is either going to be on this team flight or not. And if he's not, obviously, there's the chances of him playing are, are pretty slim. If he's not in Columbus, it makes it hard. Um, and I bring that up because there is a limited number of travel spots you can bring. You know, this isn't a home game where you can have everyone dress. You, you are limited here. So you bring if you don't bring Thibodeau on the trip, if you think he might not play, put it that way. So I think some, some, some of that will just work itself out. And it's kind of predictable this is where we are. I, I don't know if I'm going to make a prediction, but like Matt, I, I feel – pretty good about where we're at. I haven't heard anything all week that leads me to believe we're wrong. Um, we've been pretty strong in our confidence level that he will play. Um, and now we're just going to wait till Saturday and see. I mean, I hate to say it, but that's where we are. It's not going to break one or the other. I think Oregon fans listening are going like, ah, I hope I hear before kickoff on Saturday. You won't. I yeah. don't think. I mean, maybe Fox learns in its pregame show something, and that's where you find out. But I don't think you're going to have an idea really until you sit down and you're invested in the game about what's going on with him. Yep, I still think that he's probably going to go. Um, it's just this is how Oregon football operates with Mario Cristobal. Unless he comes forward and directly says, like, oh, he's out for a couple weeks or whatever the case may be, 
we don't know. We'll find out Saturday. Um, like Eric, like you were saying, they're probably on the, already on the flight to Columbus. Um, we'll find out. Like that's just it is what it is at this point. You know, ankle sprain. He's still day to day according to Cristobal. I think after a week he should probably be able to go, but we'll just find out on Saturday. All right, now let's make some predictions and end up with our final score here. Um, we'll start with just offensive team perspective predictions. I'll go first. Um, Oregon ends up scoring more points through three quarters of this game than they do in the entire length of the game against Fresno State. I think they scored more than 31 points in the, in the first three quarters. Wow. Interesting. You are much bolder than Scopeldamas was in his prediction. <laughs> That's bold. I'm now, I'm now going like, where are we going at the end of the show with your prediction? Because I know where I'm going. I think I know where Jared's going. Matt, do you have a, maybe you have a surprise for us here. Um, Oregon offense yeah. predictions. I, I, my, mine's actually a similar prediction, but not as bold. Um, I think they gain more yards. I don't think that's mm. that crazy of a prediction than they did in the opener. They gained 358 against Fresno State. Part of the reason for that, three of their drives, short fields. 27 yards or fewer, they end up scoring two touchdowns right. in the field goal off of those turnovers. That's a lot of that's a lot of potential yards that just aren't available. Um, I will also say Minnesota gained over 400 yards and scored 31 points against Ohio State. I think Oregon has the talent to gain more yards than that. Um, so I think Oregon will gain more than 358 yards. It's not the most bold prediction in the world, possibly, but try not to go too crazy here on the Oregon predictions because I'm, you know, I'm kind of putting the cart before the horse, but these predictions are out there. I've already got my score prediction online. Some of you might already know I don't have Oregon winning this game and it would feel weird if I were to make all these like Oregon's going to score 80 points and then pick them to lose later. So, uh, I think, I think they're, I think the offense is going to look better. I think I, I will agree with Matt. I don't know if they're going to score more points like that. I think they will gain more yards. I think people are going to be more impressed with the offense. Um, and so I, and my prediction is they gain more yards than they did last weekend. Yeah. I went with the yards as well. Um, Kind of the same logic as you, Eric. I have them uh, accumulating over 500 yards. Hmm. I just think, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a big number. But we saw Minnesota last last week put up over 400 yards against them. Uh, I think Oregon would have probably one or two more drives in the the Golden Gophers. Um, I just like the potential that Oregon. You know, I think last week they played it safe for Fresno State in their offense. I think they almost got bit by it. Uh, I think that this week they're going to go for it a little more. I think the, that I think they'll just have more plays where they're it's more susceptible to gaining bigger yardage. You know, not too many. Just okay, let's just get three or four here. I think they're going to go for it where it's like I, this is either going to be zero or twenty-five. Um, so yeah, I have them five hundred plus. Defensively, here uh, team predictions. I'll go with. The Oregon defense forces two turnovers that directly result in scoring situations for the Duck offense. I, I think this game, at least for the part of it, will stay close because the Ducks are able to capitalize on a redshirt freshman quarterback making a couple mistakes in a, his truly first big game. Um, mm -hmm. And the defense kind of capitalizes there a little bit. They, they don't score touchdowns. They just set the offense up for, for good field position scoring drives. Similar setups as last week. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like that. Um, I, I have Ohio State only one explosion play all game. That's a play over 40 yards. Um, they had four of those in the passing game in the second half alone against Minnesota. Five total for the game. I think Oregon does a much better job. One of the things – I think Ohio State will get its yards and they'll score its points. We'll get to that, my score prediction, in a little bit. I know that'll, some, that'll ruffle some feathers, I'm sure. Um, but what I will say is I think what we saw from Ohio State and what we saw from Oregon in their first week games lead me to believe that the explosive plays from Ohio State are going to be harder to come by here. Um, first off, Oregon didn't give up hardly any explosive plays against Fresno State. They had a run play for 45 yards that was a mistake on a run fit. That was compounded by a poor read by the safety. We've written about that on duckterritory.com. Um, their pass play downfield was on a scramble drill, right? That was, I think, only 30 yards. Um, they just didn't have a lot of those big, boom, big plays. And conversely, you go watch the Ohio State game. I think a lot of those big plays were, frankly, Minnesota being not very fleet of foot in the back end. And 
go watch the touchdown, the long, long touchdown by Mayan Williams and tell me you don't think Oregon would have at least gotten to him and made it difficult for him to score. He scored 71 yards untouched, and you watch the defenders from Minnesota trailing the play. They're slow. They're barely able to get – I mean, their, their feet are barely getting off the ground, a couple of them. Um, I think Oregon's a lot faster. So I think the explosive plays will be limited. That doesn't mean Ohio State won't gain yards and score points. Um, but one – big explosive play of 40 yards or more all game for the Oregon defense. I think they, they do a good job again of maybe some of that uh, bend, but don't break, but they don't give up the big explosion plays over and over, which really were what allowed Ohio state to win that game against Minnesota. So I have set a fake line of tackles for loss at nine and a half, and I will take the team over for Oregon. So in perspective, Oregon had eight tackles for loss against Fresno State. I expect them to get it probably anywhere from 10 to 12. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of it comes from the ability for Oregon to make tackles on the perimeter. I was Honestly, I was really impressed with Oregon's secondary tackling in open space last week. Uh, and I think they're obviously it's a bigger competition with Ohio State's talent and agility and physicality. But I think that Oregon can hit the perimeters hard especially early in the game. And I, I have, I, I feel good about Oregon's linebacking court, you know, driving downhill and stopping somebody in the backfield, hitting the quarterback for a loss, something like that, or a corralling Stroud just in a general sense of, along the defensive front. It's bold. I like it. Offensive individual. I'm sticking with Anthony Brown here. I think he throws for over 300 yards in this game and three touchdown passes. Mm. Um, I think he has a good bounce back game. It's going to be close to maybe his best game ever as a duck, but, uh, or ever as a college athlete. Um, but it may not be the best, but he's going to have a really good game. I think Troy Franklin's going to catch a touchdown pass. I think he's going to actually play some of this game. Mario Cristobal has twice this week now been like, made it very clear that Troy Franklin didn't start because of an injury and it wasn't like a, he got out beat, you know, that Chris Hudson beat him out for the playing time. It's also made the point of like, yeah, we expect him to be back at full strength. I think he's a difference maker. I think he scores a touchdown. I don't think Oregon scores a lot of touchdowns in this game, but I think he has one of them. Um, I won't predict he leads a team in receiving yards. I did that last week. Didn't work out. He didn't get targeted once. Um, Going to step away from that one. But give me, give me Troy Franklin gets his first touchdown in an Oregon uniform on Saturday in Columbus. I have a bit of a wild card here. Yeah, I have Devin Williams having a good day at the office. Ooh. I have four receptions, 72 yards, and a touchdown for Williams. I think that's how it's going to go. Uh, yeah. I, I like him to be just kind of like in that Troy Franklin role. Uh, yeah. I just like him running up like post seams up the middle, just using his body, getting ahead of, of any defensive back, and then using his high point ability to locate the ball. Specificity is awesome. I love four, 72, and a touchdown, Devin Williams. Nothing else will do. You'll Bingo. be right. Nothing no, no. <laughs> if he catches five passes, I'm going to be mad. Yeah. Four for 73 in the touchdown, and he is – it's a failure. Four That's for 73, I, yeah. I lost. You got to be right on. Right X. All right. Uh, defensively, Noah Sewell is going to have 13 or more tackles in this football game. Mm. Mm. Not, not Justin Flo, who led the team last week? Not Justin Flo. Okay. I am going with a little bit of a different one here, and it kind of ties in some news we've had before. I think there's one turnover all day by Ohio State's offense. I think it's an interception, and I think the interception is made by either DJ James or Jamal Hill. Um, mm. Two players that were obviously unavailable last week, suspended throughout the fall camp. They're back, and I think they're going to make some plays, and I think you're going to come away feeling like, all right, it's, I know that there was a bunch of stuff that happened here. You can have whatever stance you want about if they should be playing or whatnot, but you're going to recognize these guys are really good football players. And that the fact that they are on the team this year is, is really important. Um, I don't know if they come out of it because of this one play I'm predicting as starters going forward. Cause I think it sounds like they both have some work to do. Um, but I think they, one of them makes a big play there and it's, it's a critical play. I don't know if it's going to be a, I'm not predicting a pick six, but like Matt, I think it's going to lead to points. So for my uh, individual defensive prediction, I have Michael Wright securing an interception and having at least three uh, pass defended, pass deflections on the day. Uh, I think he's going to be targeted a lot. I don't know. Obviously, nationally, I think we all can we all know that Michael Wright is is a solid defender. Uh, I think the Ohio State Buckeyes are going to test that idea 
especially with their talent. Uh, and I think he's going to, to prove his worth. Uh, you know, he's going to get beat at points. That's just what happens when you have these talented receivers. But I do think that he's going to step up and have a good game for the Ducks. All right. Now, our score predictions. Um, I think for a while here, I was thinking this was going to be a game in which it could potentially turn into a blowout for Ohio State. I still think that is a possibility. But I, I, I just think Oregon plays a little bit better. Or not a little bit better. I think they play a lot better. Uh, week two than they did week one against Fresno State. And I realize the talent jump from Fresno State to Ohio State is pretty significant. But um, I, I think the offense in particular is going to be a lot better this time around than last week. The defense will still have some of its issues. Um, they will still have a hard time covering the receiving core um, at Ohio State. But I, I think this team will play closer to uh, – their highest standard than what they did. And I think you go back and you look at Oregon under crystal ball, and maybe this is just my opinion and it's not much else, but I think they kind of played to their level of competition a little bit sometimes. And I'm expecting a good game from Oregon. I do not think they win though. Uh, Oregon loses this one by 11. So they cover the spread, but they don't, when 49 to 38. I think, I think this game is going to be competitive. I want to say that up top because the score prediction doesn't sound that way. And I just want to make it clear. I think this is a game that's competitive for, for three quarters. I think Oregon's in this game. I don't think this is a blowout all the way through. I think the final score makes it look that way. Um, some of those listening probably have seen my prediction already. I'll say it, I'll say it again. I'm, I'm going 42, 21 um, Ohio state wins by three scores. I, I think Oregon will be in this game for a while. I just don't know if they're quite on that same level as Ohio State. And I think the longer this game goes, the, the, the more Ohio State opens it up. Like I, I'm not going to be surprised at all if this is like 28-21, mid-third quarter, Oregon's right in it, and it ends up with a couple of – a break here or there. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe Oregon's offense plays really good football, and it's just they, – they're right in it. Kind of like with Minnesota where you're right in it, and – suddenly there's just a brain fart or there's a mistake and it's a turnover and it's a pick six or whatever it is. And Ohio state scores and suddenly it's 35, 21 and you try and you come back and you can't score again. And they're able to tack on a late score again. I, I think this game will be close in the third quarter. I think there's going to be some stuff that happens towards the end of the third quarter that creates some separation and Ohio state wins 42, 21. I know that score prediction probably isn't going to win me a lot of uh, fans, on DuckTerritory.com. Um, hi, my Thai Duck. I saw your post about my uh, previous podcast pr- predictions. You didn't like that. So here's me giving you more ammunition to not like me. But uh, <laughs> there it is. Um, I, it, it is what it is. I, I'm just trying to be objective. I think it's a close game for a while, but ultimately Ohio State's too strong. And Oregon loses by three scores. And it's a game where probably some people nationally try to make it sound like it was more decisive than it was for Ohio State. Um, but it really wasn't. And it was a pretty close game throughout. Yeah, I think I think this is going to be a close one throughout as well. Um, ultimately, I had the Ducks falling 48-35. I think it's going to be a high-octane game. Uh, 48 it was, was a lot for me to put down for Ohio State. I think Oregon's defense is pretty darn good. But I also think that there's going to be a few plays where there, it's just going to be an explosive play and kind of one after another. There's going to be a turnover in there somewhere, either for Ohio State or Oregon, um, that's going to result in a great scoring opportunity. So I think it can go somewhere where like Oregon's down by a score in the third quarter and then they have a turnover and then all of a sudden Ohio State is at their Oregon's 25-yard line. An easy score for the, the Buckeyes and then they're suddenly up by 12 or something like that. Um, I think this will be a, a good showing on a national level for the Ducks with their offense. I think at points their defense is going to come up big. Um, but at the end of the day, I have Oregon covering. So good for them but I have them losing 48-35. Are we expecting like a clean game or a sloppy game? I'm kind of expecting like it's cheating, but both. Like there's going to be a quarter where it's like, (laughs) God, that was ugly football for both teams. And then there's going to be a couple quarters where it's like they're playing at a high level. 
I think it's going to be really clean early, and that's why I think it's going to be like Oregon's right in it. And I think it's going to get ugly at times in the second half. I, I think playing perfect football against someone like Ohio State is a lot to ask. And like my like my prediction, I, I think Oregon's going to be right in it because they are playing clean football. The turning point is going to be a mistake. I don't know. I'm not, I have no idea what it's going to be, but there's going to be a couple of messy things that happen in that third quarter that allow Ohio State to pull away. That's my prediction. I'm, I thought Jared brought up a good point. You look at what Oregon has done in big marquee games throughout Mario Cristobal's tenure. Maybe that was you, Matt. I forget. Um, both of you made the point. I'll just give you both credit. Um, but <laughs> but like Mario Cristobal has yet to have a game. I know the Ohio State, the Iowa State game, the, the Fiesta Bowl last year was probably the outlier here. But like you think about the big games that Oregon has been in under Mario Cristobal against this type of an opponent, and he hasn't been definitely been steamrolled by a marquee team in a game like this. And I just don't think. Again, I'm predicting the most lopsided score that looks like it's a steamroll. I, I, I just don't think it's going to be the way that feels for those who actually watch the game. Yeah, I've, I actually, in my mind, I've been picturing this as a rather clean game where there's a few turnovers just as an average football game. But I do think that both teams kind of play to their potential and play to their ultimate talent level. And, you know, Oregon's just beneath. It's It's – no, no criticism to Cristobal and company. They have a very elite, uh, talented squad. But you know, Ohio State's one of the best three teams in the country for a reason. Um, so I think it's going to be just overall. I think it's going to be a really good game. You know, it's good. It's bright lights on Fox, even though it's the middle of the day. Uh, I think it's going to be just probably one of the best games of the season. I, I, I there's just something in me where it's like this is going to be a good one. You're going to sit down and watch it. And although the Ducks lose, you're going to be like, all right, that was, that was a good game. Okay, okay. But I think actually here's the question, maybe back to you, Matt. If it is a messy game, does that favor Oregon? Yes. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Oregon wants this to be like just sloppy. Sloppy as can be. And, you know, touchdowns but if it's like, or, or, or no one scores touchdowns. Like if it's a game where it's 13-9, I love Oregon's yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, what if it turns into 17-10? Just a rock fight. I like Oregon in that one. <laughs> I would, too. I, 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 yeah. Oh, 100%. I think Oregon has a maybe, if you want to talk about upside of a defense, assuming everyone's available, Oregon may have a higher upside defense. The thing is, yeah. Ohio State has a much higher upside offense right now. Um, yeah. I'm, like if, if the defense just plays, like, if they stonewall Ohio State a bunch and this is low scoring, then, yeah, I'd flip my perspective. I just am not predicting that yet. Like, I mean, just real quick to run through this, like, Oregon, it, when they're healthy on defense, they probably have four guys that are viewed as first or second round NFL draft pick guys on mm. that side of the football. Yeah. And potentially the number one draft pick in this upcoming draft. Like, they've got they've got the best player on the football field with a healthy Kayvon Thibodeau, even maybe a 90% Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, I don't think there's another guy on Ohio State's roster that's better than he is. So – it's going to be certainly interesting to watch. We'll all be there. We uh, we all leave at different times today. Um, we're going to be there late Friday night. We'll be at Columbus for the game. Uh, full coverage at that at Ohio State between the Ducks and the Buckeyes will begin Saturday morning, bright and early, 9 a.m. West Coast time kickoff, 12.05 p.m. kickoff local time. Um and then Eric and I and Jared, we will have full coverage during and after the game. So stick with DuckTerritory.com and also this podcast for more on this game. Until then, you've been listening to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.